should I say potiversary? Or Wabamiversary? Wabamiversary. I don't really like any of those. We bought a mic, mic. We bought a mic, mic. We bought a mic. We bought a microphone. We bought a mic. We bought ourselves. For one full year and a little bit longer. Skrillex for coming in with the fresh song. That was yeah. that was all new, huh? Uh, well, you weren't here last week. Ah, oh, shit. You're right, and I definitely didn't listen to it. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And Drew Dietz in his eye. Uh, so today is our one-year anniversary of doing this podcast. Technically, last week was, but that was the one-year anniversary of episode zero, which will that, forever that episode be forgotten. That episode doesn't count. Nothing but happened. today... What, what did we do in episode zero? I don't... Let's not talk about it. <laughs> I feel like it was probably bad. <laughs> we, yeah. we talked into microphones that were not plugged in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, so, yeah, guys. One whole year. And what an amazing year it's been. To, 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 to 10 more. Guys, to 15 like, more. Whenever we started this podcast, I was in a really dark state. Yeah. I was like really suffering heavily with depression, thoughts of suicide. And after spending a year with you guys, that feeling has only gotten dramatically yeah, worse. Like significantly. So like yeah. I just want to thank you for just driving me closer yeah. and closer to the edge. I've I've, I've gotten to hate movies, yeah. hate shows. I finally have the courage to die now. <laughs> I can't stand to consume any more content or else my my eyes will just explode out of my brain. Yeah. Yeah. But um, in any event, we're talking Crazy Rich Asians today, the new film from John Chu, and a couple other things. But before we get to that, we have a little bit of a 2018 summer movie wrap-up to discuss. Is it over? I mean, well, it's... The wager is effectively over. It, it, there's one week left in the summer movie wager. Um, but there's not going to be any changes. Yeah, I to mean, the... the summer always, like, I always consider the end of it Labor Day, which is next weekend, and there's really nothing that's coming out next week that's going to, like, change the game. I mean, there's, like, searching, but that's not really a summer yeah. movie. And and Mamma Mia 2 is at number 10, and the next two slots are, like, Equalizer 2 and um, Where's the, the Meg. Where's the Meg in there? Yeah, the Meg. Yeah, and they're they're not anywhere Blit. close to... to upending Mamma Mia spot, which means that Allison is decidedly the winner because she put Mamma Mia at that number 10 spot, which gives her an additional three points. Yeah. Uh, Not sure why... That point system works that way. It's just the the people that built the site. It's it's unusual, but yeah. It kind of makes it so you have to think as much as what you put at number 10 as you put number one yeah that makes sense so yeah allison did win uh the wager i believe colin uh enemy of the pod got second place i got third front of the pod me drew uh so yeah then then it's hunter uh then we have uh honestly dav yeah and then brett and then gaia and i are tied good lord what happened i just i just want to say it was i think it was uh me not putting hotel trans with Transylvania. Really? No, left it out. Yeah, Hotel yeah. Transylvania was huge. Honestly, if I would have, because I put Hotel Transylvania as a dark horse and fucking Christopher Robin at number eight in my list, if I would have switched those two things, then I would have won. Unfortunately, but, it did suck. And fortunately, Jim Cummings is now dead to me, and I burned all my Pooh Bear books. And <laughs> Jeez. now I, yeah, 
Pooh Bear yeah. sucks. A.A. Milne is not profitable anymore. Yeah. Oh, wait. Is it because he's a he's a Trump apologist? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, we have good analysis on this podcast. We wouldn't have said that in our first month on the pod. Yeah. Now we're comfortable enough. That yeah. We're, we're we, really... we will call out your CGI bear. Yeah. If he's... Exactly. <laughs> if he's and, problematic. And all your other favorite podcasters <laughs> won't do it because they're in bed with Disney. They're scared. I did... <laughs> they're fucking scared. I did want to make some notes about uh, the top 10 list that we have this year. It's all sequels or things that have derived off of oh, other properties. Every, every yeah, fucking... The like, this is really is. the year... There's no Dunkirk... There's no even like a baby driver. Oh, you're comparing it to last year, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like just Fuck. talking about yeah. how a lot of like the prestigious directors have kind of moved into making like comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Like we have yeah. people who are making. We have like Ron Howard, Peyton Reed, Ron Ron Howard. Like people who I mean, even going back to Ryan Coogler at the beginning of the year, yeah. a lot of the best directors are going into making property like yeah. films, which I they do. Imp- Prove the quality of that in some level of variance, some more effective than others. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of it's really tough to see well, that they're just it's not profitable for these like great indie lower budget films to make money. We're, we're going to get into it more later, obviously. But one uh, movie that would definitely make this list and will by the end of the year is Crazy Rich Asians, which is an original it's movie. It's making really good yeah, money it's going. Right now. If we had it like three more weeks it's on the wager. It's not original. It's based on a book. <clears throat> Seriously? God yeah, yeah. It's based on a book. Why is it yeah. like this, man? But it's, it's, it's original compared to like, you know, fucking Infinity Solo. Or, or Solo. Yeah. 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 Um, um, well, that's fun. What were some of your like highlights of the summer? Lowlights? I thought Hereditary was really good. I thought that that was a, a uh, both a well-crafted uh, artistic piece of cinema and just a really f- effective, scary horror movie. I, I thought that uh, that was one of like my most one of my most anticipated films of the summer, and uh, I was really really pleased with it. And also, Eighth Grade, like yes. so so happy for Bo with Eighth Grade that he delivered on that. I wasn't expecting to love that movie as much as I did, but. I, I'm just really, really glad it exists. Yeah, and I I understand like the the notion of not enjoying that movie, uh, because it's so it's very starkly different from the movies that most people have just seen yeah, their yeah. entire lives. Uh but I mean for me personally I can't remove my own experience with it and it's not too early to call it one of the best movies I've seen in my life. Or at least oh, the wow. ones yeah. that I've wow. most connected with. Like I, I've never seen empathize with the protagonist so hard as I have in that movie. I yeah. agree. I uh, I do think that Hereditary in eighth grade, and I would even throw First Reformed in there as like some of the yeah. best. Like I always forget that that's a summer movie. Unfortunately, that right was very, very small. Yeah, it, like it really Nobody didn't make any it. money. Um, however, while I do think those are the best like films of the year, whenever I'm just thinking of like classical Summer, summer movie, popcorn film. What a good like very rewatchable movie is Mission Impossible. It's, it's Fallout. Like yeah. I'm, Mission Impossible Fallout does everything that you want from a blockbuster movie. Yeah, and I think that that would probably be if I'm just looking at it just from a summer perspective, not as what the best film is, but what the best summer movie is that I saw. It's it's Mission. I'm, Impossible I'm hoping Fallout. to catch it again before it leaves theaters. I really want to see it. Uh... Uh, one last time on the big yeah. screen. Uh, the biggest what the fuck of the summer was sorry to bother you. For yeah. Sure. Uh, it, like I, I said, wish I would have liked that one yeah, more. I mean, when we reviewed it, yeah, I mentioned like it doesn't always connect for me at all, but it's ambitious and I'm really glad I saw it. An original. It's just out yeah, of it's left very field. Original. Yeah. So uh, I enjoyed it overall. Um, I thought 
Uh, was Tully during the summer? Or Tully was, that right was before? yeah. Tully was during the summertime. I, it I, came out. I thought that was an amazing film. You know, Charlize Theron again being just flexing the fact that she's like probably one of the best working actors right now. Um, you have the Titan fucking Joaquin in You Were Never Really Here. That probably the best actor. I, I can't name a better actor than Joaquin Phoenix. He's a fucking chameleon. Yeah, he's uh, a star. Yeah, it, he, love that dude. He absolutely owns it, and you were never really here. Um, and was a Quiet Place summer? I a Quiet that, Place came out in like March, April. Okay, so it was so a little bit not, before like summer. Okay. That but, was um, such a summer type of movie yeah, too. It was yeah. like a crowd pleaser. I feel you know? like the summer is like earlier and earlier each year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like Black Panther, Marvel, Marvel, ruin, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that and Marvel kind of dictates when uh, summer starts now. Um, Incredibles. Another, yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say like Incredibles, which is quietly becoming like one of the best animated movies of all time in terms of money. like in terms of monetary value. It's yeah. already surpassed like oh, Finding yeah. Dory numbers. Yeah, yeah that so was that was a big su- surprise for me in terms of like my wager. Like if I had put that higher, I had a chance at winning the wager. Right. Um. Ba- essentially, I mixed up Incredibles and Solo because Solo flopped. Let's talk about Solo. Yeah, it, it is a. It, it, I think it's going to go down as the biggest failure of the year and maybe of the decade. And yeah. I love that. It, <laughs> you we, never saw it, did you? No, I don't yeah, want to. Yeah. Okay, and, so, and I don't have to now because it's not even yeah. like no one even cares about it. So I do feel like it's now that we're at like the end of the summer, we can kind of do a little bit more of a retrospection. Um, I do feel like that a lot of people, uh, myself included, came out uh, automatically more negative on solo than maybe it actually deserves. Yeah, I believe that. Um, absolutely. I think that I don't think it's a great movie. I think that's completely fine, but I, I don't think it's think like it's, it's, I think it's, oh, I think it's good. I think you know, it's, it's just, fine. It's I think it's fine to good. Okay. Well, but like, I don't think problem, that, though, no, you, I mean, exactly. And yeah. that's whenever you have one of the most well-known characters in the Western canon and you yeah. kind of fuck well, that movie it up. It falls right into your famous hot take, Drew, of <laughs> Star Wars just being a good, overall, like, good to okay it's franchise. It's That's no Mission Impossible is. franchise. <laughs> Mission Impossible, five out of six. Name me a better franchise well, with a better hit rate The, than the that. difference between the two is the line graph of quality over time. Yeah. Like, it's, it's different. It's Getting opposite better. for both yeah. of them, really. Like... Overall, it's pretty hard to argue that Star Wars kind of decreases over time, um, and I I couldn't get enough of that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm trying to even think of a, another character because I was trying to think like making a solo movie and having it flop as is like having a what movie? Who who is even analogous to that? Uh, you know, like, Ron Weasley. I don't no, know. No, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's a character that's been around since like the seventies and was played by the most beloved actor of his whole who made decade. it his own. Yeah. So to fuck that up, first of all, you're almost guaranteed to just because of how sacred he is. Um, so it'd be I, like trying to replace Indiana Jones with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Remember in 2008, that was an idea that we were like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Mutt. Yeah. Never forget. I Mutt. mean, hey, in, Mi- in Mission Impossible 4, they were just like, and eh, maybe Tom Cruise is on his way out. Let's throw fucking Hawkeye in here. Yeah, like, he's coming off some big, some big Man, hits. That's a big and that if. also fucking yeah. failed. So sometimes you should just let great actors be great actors, not try and like push them out yeah. the door too soon. Yeah. But anyway, like that, that uh, speaks to what you were saying, because you can't, it's sacred ground automatically and if it's if the movie comes out is not great it is not good at all mm-hmm. like it's a yeah. failure and it, and because it was uh more deeply flawed than it, people even thought it would be it just completely crashed and 
Uh, while it did cost me the summer movie wager, I am, I like it. Yeah, it cost it cost it for me too. Yeah. Uh, and you know, before we move on, I I gotta be over here waving my my ABBA flag, Mamma Mia two. Oh, here we go again. It was everything I wanted and more, <laughs> except it sucked. But I had a great time. What was? What would you guys say is the worst movie of the summer that you saw? I have a Christopher very Robin. easy one. <laughs> Mine was Christopher. Oh, get Robin. the fuck out of here! Mine is without a doubt, hands down, Deadpool two. Mm. Yeah, Deadpool two. The more that I, I think about that myself. movie, the more I think about how angry it makes me that that was one <laughs> of the that that was the fourth highest grossing movie of the summer. So probably Blockers. Blockers had its moments. Blockers did not insult my intelligence the way that Deadpool 2 did. Um, Deadpool 2 insulted my De- intelligence yeah, on Deadpool, another level. Deadpool 2 is a close number two worst thing I saw this summer, but Christopher Robin is number one in terms of com- I felt like my heart rate was slowing to a complete yeah. stop. At least, at least in Deadpool 2, I wasn't like fucking waiting for it to end I, I and like rolling lined. my eyes. I died for like two minutes during Christopher <laughs> Robin. And I didn't even notice. It was, I, I really hated it. I still stand by Pooh Bear, even if he's fucking dead to me because he made me lose a summer right, You guys have any uh, any last uh, things you want to highlight um, from the summer? Any winners or losers? Well, I mean, documentaries are kind of having a big pull this year. That's That's been kind of a trend Won't that's going on. Right Won't you be my neighbor? Uh, we haven't seen it yet, but Three Identical Strangers. I really want I've to heard is, that out. I've heard really yeah. awesome things about that. So it's kind of interesting that there's this like pretty... Like it started as like a mini boom and now it's becoming a full on boom for documentaries that was really sparked by Netflix and their yeah. docu series and now it's kind of transitioning over to being in the theaters. And speaking of Netflix documentaries Ooh. Did we, you say sorry, did you say mockumentaries? No, this is a real thing. Oh. Who is the poop burglar? Oh yeah, yeah. American Vandal is real. <laughs> um seriously though, I'm I'm really Season excited about two this. Has a trailer. So when it got renewed and it was announced it was going to use the same cast, I was just thinking as like a as a wannabe writer, I was thinking like, what is the angle here? How do they make this work and make it not suck? And I really think that they figured it out based on this trailer. It looks like a different school is hiring the two filmmaker students yeah. to expose not e- yeah, whoever this exactly. It's not even a school. Is. It's just these kids uh, uncovered, you know, this high school level like petty crime, and it was like nationally known by like all kids. It became a thing in the you know in the context of the show, and so it makes perfect sense that like kids from a different school come to these guys and they're like, "Hey, do a documentary <laughs> about this." That's genius. It was sitting right there, and I that is the perfect angle for them to take because. Yeah. It did so well that it had to be renewed. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the trailer that I loved is right about the halfway point, I was like, really? This is the best you could do? A fucking poop joke for season two? And right when I thought it, they just acknowledge it. The characters acknowledge it. They're like, hmm, what? what's the angle here? Is poop funny? Poop is funny? They make like a comment like <laughs> yeah. acknowledging how stupid it is. Well, I mean, that's kind of at for, like whenever I first saw American Vandal, it kind of turned me off because I was like, it's a dick jokes. Like, how is that? That's yeah. going to get old really quick over the course of eight episodes. Like, I don't know if I'm going to yeah. go into that. But this is like such a well thought out thing where they take something that's stupid, stupid humor that can mass appeal to everybody and then go so fucking deep into it. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. So do you guys, do you guys think this out. has potential to be better than season one? I don't know if it can beat it just because part of season one, part of the joy of that was, it was a just surprise. going, yeah, it was yeah. the surprise of going down the wormhole. And, and also being like, what uh, Jimmy Tatro's performance. And oh. I don't think he's coming back. No, I don't see why he would. Yeah. Uh, but 
yeah, the reason that I love that so much is because when I found it, it felt like finding a needle in a haystack. I was mm-hmm. just like, what in the hell? And I, I came on the pod and I tried to sell. I think you weren't on that week, but I tried to sell Ernest and I could see in your eyes. You were like, really? The dick joke. Yeah. And then, and then you watched it and you were like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. It is really that good. It's it's high comedy. It's one of the best uh, comedies on television or streaming. Yeah. And it's so good. Th- it, this reminds me like earlier I was talking to my parents on the phone and they were my dad made a comment. He was like, you know, I heard you say something about how like Netflix is just pure garbage. And I was like, yeah, like they don't give a fuck. They put out like 10 shows a week and they're all terrible <laughs> because all they care about is you not canceling your subscription. As long as you don't cancel your subscription, they'll put out fucking yeah. schlock and they're losing uh, their their property that they had from networks like NBC, uh, right. Fox. Like, oh, they're pulling it. Yeah, yeah. they're pulling it. But so they have to just fill it with shit. There's little shows in in the shit that people just don't know about as much and yeah. that don't really blow up in the way that they should. Like, I think American Vandal should be a fucking sensation just like Stranger Things is. But yeah, they just released so much stuff. I mean, but the thing is with Netflix is that Instead of a lot of network shows try to they only have a set amount of pilots that they actually green light. And so they try to make these shows very, very mass appealing. I think yeah. the cool thing about Netflix is that they do release so much content that a lot of it is very specified in the target audience is doing like a lot of stuff that we watch and say is like total schlock like. It's made for like thirteen-year-old girls that just want to watch like a multi-game sitcom. Yeah, they don't care, and like they are all like super into it and love it. it. Like so, that's they they do a cool thing where they try to just create so much diverse content that they're hitting every and that's really smart on their part because those the Gen Z kids they're the ones that have the time to just sit and binge TV like it's nothing, just consume, consume, consume. They don't have fucking jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But I don't an- even have podcasts. Another <laughs> a, a, one last thing about Netflix before we move on is that uh, I'm almost caught up with BoJack Horseman leading into season five. Tight. I really think this might be the best show on Netflix. I mean, it's, I would buy that. It's so fucking good. It it gets dark to a point where it's like absolutely depressing. And then you have these like throwaway jokes that are so refreshing and like. They, they they put so much thought and like intellectuality into into like little tiny throwaway things in the background where like you might miss it if you look away. I I'm so excited for season five. Um, but let's get to one little bit of news before we get to the rest of what we're talking about, which is James Bond lost its director. Yep, Danny Boyle, and they're already talking about replacing him with Edgar Wright or. Um, who's the other guy? I think it's the guy that did Sharp Objects. Oh, um, the uh, uh I'm blanking out his name. Jean, um, Jean Marc Val- Valier. Oh, yeah. um, An Edgar Wright Bond movie is interesting to me. Yeah, it sounds like a great idea. Okay. I mean, I don't care enough about the Bond movies that I like. If it flopped, I wouldn't mind, and it would be interesting either way. So know? I kind of my whole thing with this is that I feel like Edgar Wright is not going to work out because. Danny Boyle is a director who does have a flair and a style to his direction. And if he, they, it's been kind of mixed reports on whether he decided to leave or whether or not he was kind of pushed out the door. Um, so if we're having like another solo situation on our hands, I feel like they're going to end up kind of going with a safe choice, like a Ron Howard mm-hmm. to just kind of get this project off the ground. Uh, Ron, don't I mean, do it. But that's just kind of this point that we're at now with a lot of franchises where like 
they don't want to go the full, let's say, for example, the full, like, DC route of, like, just, like, oh, well, we have to have, like, Zack Snyder who puts his dark flair on everything because that's not marketable enough. So then they get these safe choices that just make for a less quality movie. It Like, we used to, a couple years ago, like, have all these, like, random no-name people who would just do something like... um like do like one or two small indie movies and then like Kellen Trevorrow and then getting the gig to Jurassic world. Exactly. Like we had like these people who were like very, very small directors that were kind of up and comers. And now it feels like we're kind of going back the opposite way where we're just like, all right, we tried like going out there a little bit, trying to get all these young guns in here. So now we're going to get fucking just ultimate safe director yeah. and just, Puts, put the script directly on the screen with no real flair. Mm. Your young guns are getting fired. Your James guns are getting fired. Where is like the love for young white men? <laughs> oh, Did boy. you guys talk about... No, I think it's newer news that Guardians is suspended indefinitely. Oh, yeah. So apparently yeah. Uh, James Gunn's firing has made it so that they're just tabling the project for now. Yeah, because there's so much really noise sad. around it. Uh, yeah, huge bummer. I mean, they were going to use his script and then not have him direct, which is like essentially just admitting that like they don't actually give a shit either way. Yeah, I mean, the cast... Put out that letter, yeah, basically and, yeah, and the cast buying is for his support. Exactly, the cast is pissed off, particularly Dave Bautista. On, yeah. Yeah, on he's been the most vocal. on all his socials. He is still going off to this day, dude. It's crazy. He's like calling Disney out, yeah. like to their face, like you guys fell for a right yeah. wing like troll. He's right. like, he's like, meet me in the octagon, <laughs> <laughs> you cowards. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I love that shit. I love that he's doing that. Yes, yeah. someone needs I to. Too. I mean, but especially with Disney, I think that we might have touched on it last week how Disney has come out and said for sure that they will not bring James Gunn back at all. So now it's just, it's this whole like push for people signing petitions and everything like, yeah, but get James Gunn back. It seems like that's not going anywhere. And how are they possibly going to make a Guardians movie without James Gunn? He, like it just can't. It's it can't his work. vision. It's his. It's yeah. his franchise. Yeah. I mean, spoilers for Avengers: Infinity War. If you haven't seen it, spoilers for saying, Avengers: are, Infinity War. Are you saying War. that Thanos snapped his fingers and James but, disappeared? Uh, most of the Guardians are poo poo, uh, poof poof, <laughs> dusted by the end of that movie. The only ones we're left with are Rocket and. I think it's, is it just Rocket? It. Yeah, it's, it's just, just Rocket. Rocket. So it's like, if they really wanted to, I don't know what their plan is to like undo all that shit. But like, if they really want, everybody to, will come back. They could just, they could <laughs> they, just leave. How do them you explain dead. just bringing some people back and not other people back? Like that's <laughs> that'd be pretty funny. If they, just, they killed them all. Yeah. No, they're not gonna do. There's no way they do that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I really don't know what their move is here. Like, it, they're in a situation right now. I, I, I think I'm gonna make a prediction here. I think they're going to rehire James Gunn. I think it won't be for probably until like 2019. Mm. I think they're going to do it. I feel like James Gunn had been positioned by Kevin Feige to be like a really important voice in the MCU. And just, just look at infinity war mm -hmm. like his tone is all over that movie mm -hmm. yeah and even like the way taika ytt approached Absol I was, yeah i was gonna yeah. say that like they they were like okay the thor model is not working the james gunn model is working every single time we put his movies out so let's bring in a guy who has a similar sensibility i.e 
is funny. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the right move. I could see if they were going to get anybody in the family of uh, Marvel who's there right now to try and take over the Guardians franchise, it would be Taika. That would, because he has that, that very yeah, he's just, great comedic sensibility. Oh, that would be smart, but it's such a can of worms because then it, it would have to be like James Gunn puts out a statement like I give Taika my blessing. Yeah, because like, otherwise it's, like it's going to be this whole story about yeah. just like Other, oh well he's doing James Gunn's. Like this is his exactly. Movie. Like James Gunn has a lot of chips right now, even though it lo- seems like he doesn't. It's if he got, des- if he decides to be like, hey, make it without me, they little, do it. It's got a little bit of a solo a Star Wars story written all over it. I guess. I guess. <laughs> all right. Um, let's get to what we've been listening to. Uh, I have two albums that I want to bring up here. One that just came out, and one that's been out for about a month. Um, and there's a lot of overlap here with these two albums. The first one is Ariana Grande's Sweetener. Uh, this is a straight up just top 40 pop album. But I think this is as good as it gets when it comes to this type of music. Like this is mm-hmm. absolute. It's pretty much a flawless like, you know, bubblegum glossy pop yep. album. It's it, it, it's big when it needs to be. It soars like it has this like glossy sheen over it and the woman can fucking sing like yeah. she her voice is so good she can hit like the most insane notes and Pharrell does a lot of production here that really it, it just bops like mm. this thing fucking it the dumps yeah i <laughs> the the dumps. Dumps. Yeah. um no i i definitely agree with you i think this is by far the best pop album that's come out this year. We don't really talk a lot about pop albums just because a lot of it just kind of all blends together on top 40 shit. But this album is like really special, I think, because it is very, very mass appealing like pop should be. But it's also kind of deeply personal at certain points, which you can tell that yeah, with her, she yeah. actually wrote these her songs lyrics. and yeah. she cared. I mean, there's a song in here. It's about pete davidson's dick like it's so beautiful well, not his dick, so beautiful but his love um his giant but- schlong <laughs> his giant love but um this i there's some like really great songs as i'm like i think that i mean between the light is coming with Nicki minaj god is a woman which is one of the best pop songs of the year. Um, I also I God love the song. That have you seen that I video? Love that video is Looney Tunes. It is crazy. <laughs> I, I couldn't didn't even understand what was happening. But um, I mean, even the big single that's been playing nonstop on the radio and everything is "No Tears Left to Cry." Oh, which great is, song! Which is a really good song. Yeah, like usually it's these kind of songs that. I hear them once, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's catchy. And then whenever you just hear them over and over and over again, you just kind of reach this point where you're like, well, fuck that song. I hear it too much. Yeah. And it, Ariana Grande, like, it's kind of special about this. Is none of these songs, like, really have worn on me in any kind of a way. Yeah, it's still early on. You know, we'll see after a couple of months of listening if, if it gets to that point. But I don't really see that happening. Mm. I, I think that this album, it's, it's pretty much everything I could ever want in a straight up pop album i think the production is great the lyrics are great and again her her voice is just dude (laughs) she's like angelic the way she sings yeah it's amazing oh uh another thing i wanted to point out that um i learned about was the last song in the album get well soon there's like 40 seconds of silence at the end of the uh the end of the song uh leading the track time to be 522 which is may 22nd which is the date that um 
there was a mass shooting at her show in Europe. Manchester. Oh, in Manchester. Yeah. So it's like a very like personal thing because, I mean, she was so mortified by everything that happened about like it being something that was linked back to her that this is kind of in a really inadvertent way kind of her fault because people were there to see her show and, and it's at that show that mm-hmm. multiple people died. It's so sad. Man, I love pop you guys music. Have any, <laughs> you guys yeah, have dude, any highlights shit, off the album? Uh, I love God is a Woman, R.E.M. R.E.M.'s a great uh, song. Blazed, yeah, which Blazed. Pharrell does have a little bit mm-hmm. of uh, vocal work on True. there. I've only I've only heard the singles, and I don't I definitely don't dislike them. You know what I've been listening to out of like sheer disgusting interest is uh, the local modern alt rock radio station. Things are, are is all rock okay? No, dude. dude. Is the radio okay? No, things are going it's not, bad. It's not like okay. the shit you hear on there, it's like, is this what? Is anyone listening to this? I don't think anyone is listening. It's like, who do they make that music for? It's just the stuff that they have on now is like Imagine Dragons, and then twenty bands that you think are Imagine Dragons, mm-hmm. and Muse has a ukulele song out now. Oh which, no! To name all the bands who could use a ukulele, they're last. Train is first and they're last. Uh, and then you have like four different bands that are doing like 21 pilots mixed with dubstep. And yeah, that's- a lot of a lot of like alt-rocky bands are trying to go the 21 pilots route where they're trying to become poppy and add like that gentrified reggae breakdown Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot of shit like that. So much like that. It <laughs> is so, I don't know. I've just, it's like a, it's like a, a train wreck. I can't look away. Like I always listen to it for at least like 30 seconds when I get in my car because I'm like... What the hell's going on right now? So they need help. These bands need help. They need an uh, some kind of an Arctic Monkeys yeah. or the Strokes, some kind of a garage band to kind of break through, but yeah. it's not looking good. Um, the other album I wanted to talk about is Hive Mind by The Internet. So this is uh, a little bit similar in the way that Sweetener has like this really dancey vibe to it uh, with some of the songs that just kind of like groove really well, but the internet is a straight up kind of like hip hop group. Um, they do use like actual instruments, mm. uh, but the way the production and the songwriting comes across, it's it does have a, a true like hip hop core, hip hop, very it. like jazzy too. Yeah, and Steve Lacey does a lot of the production on here. The internet's amazing, man. And, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, and actually, this album made me go back and check out their uh, last album, Ego Death. Yeah. Which is so fucking good, yeah. but Hive Mind is still great. It's it's fifty seven minutes of just like groovy, groovy, um, you know, kind of smooth grooves, and there's some great stuff on here. I love uh, Beat Goes On, Wanna Be, uh, Stay the Night, Come Over, just really smooth vocals from. Um, from the the singers and the when did well, Sid is the girl Sid that's this, her name right, yeah. right, right did this album come out like last month when did it come out it came out um, uh yeah about a month ago yeah I knew that they released a new album but I just, I haven't actually had a chance to listen to the yeah album yet yeah Sid is an amazing uh, front woman she mm-hmm. she does most of their vocals and most of their songwriting and yeah. it's very very personal very well written. I haven't checked out this new album actually, but it's really Ego, good. Ego Death is one of my like probably top five albums of uh, a few years ago, twenty fifteen. I, I don't think this is better than Ego Death, um, but it's a solid follow up. 
True. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, they're all going on uh, solo now. Like they reconvene to make this album, and a lot of the time when that happens, it is a little bit worse because they have their own shit yeah. they're doing. Steve Lacey, he didn't blow up, but he is. I mean, now he is a he's name. He's a he's he, a like people want him yeah, to produce their exactly. Stuff in now. 2015, he was not a name. Period, and now he is someone. And yeah, and he's going. He's doing production work. So it's cool that they came back together because there were there are always rumblings with the internet that they're breaking up or they're they're all you know ones in like living in Europe now yeah. or whatever. Uh, I mean, Odd Future is like pretty much disbanded at this point. Yeah, they're not Which, even a thing. Kind of for the best. Yeah, that, that, that <laughs> yeah they're all just better up. with their solo stuff than they yeah. ever were with Odd Future. Um, hey, I have I have something to contribute here for what I've been listening to. The reason I haven't been listening to music is because I shelled out the big bucks with my podcast money. Oh yeah, and I got Stitcher Premium. Thanks to everybody who support us on Patreon so that Drew could get a Stitcher yeah. Premium account. We're just getting like fucking buku bucks over here <laughs> um so yeah i got it uh because first of all i downloaded stitcher and i was extremely impressed with the app itself it's better than like whatever app you're using for your podcast i can guarantee that it's Ooh. it's kind of the perfect podcast app uh and it's free and they have all of the podcasts that any other app has and then you can also buy premium the best deal that they have um on top of promos if you listen to certain pods is if you buy a whole year at once it's 35 bucks for the year yeah, for a oh, year. Oh shit! Yeah, I might what, do that. That's what I'm saying. Like, it is very. If you're me, it's very worth it. Um, I got it specifically because of Hollywood Handbook, which is my fa- favorite mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, way like a way more than we bought a mic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they they have a, funny guys. Yeah, Earwolf in general has has a lot of content on there. They're I think they're a primary uh, backer of it, so they have a lot of podcasts that are exclusive. Steak. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have one called John Levenstein's Retirement Party, which is John Levenstein is a guy who has worked on every good modern comedy of the 21st century. He's just like a he's he's old. He's like a lifelong comedy writer, and it's just him ha- like bringing people into the studio. Like he'll have one episode is like the writers' room of Arrested Development, and they just all like talk about like their experiences. Oh, it's really inside baseball, and it's really boring if you're not interested in what it's like actually like inside that room, which is specific, but. Anyway, the Hollywood Handbook Pro version is the funniest shit I've ever listened to in my life. Like, and, uh, go ahead and tell the listeners what they'll get right now if they go stitcher.com slash we bought a mic. Yeah, if you put in uh, promo code uh, WABAM, you get uh, Stitcher Premium for $35 <laughs> for a whole year. Are we even on Stitcher? You get a 404 error code. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you don't put in that code, you will also get $35 <laughs> for a year. Wait, so is this is this Ron Livingston from Tully? What? What are you talking about? Yeah, Ron. Who's Ron Livingston? Oh, I thought you said Ron Livingston's retirement. No, 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 no. He's not a writer. That guy is just a, a guy. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Ron, now I forgot. It's John Levinstein. John Levinston. <laughs> Ron Livingston. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of other... It's A lot of it is comedy-centered, the exclusive stuff they have. But you might notice with a lot of your favorite podcasts, not just Earwolf ones, if you try to scroll back and go to old episodes, they block their archives from every app except for Stitcher Premium now. Hmm. Um, so you I don't, can go all the way down to like the first episode ever. Yeah, like you can't you can't get like, for some podcasts, like five years worth of shit is only on Stitcher Premium. Oh, uh, I don't listen to it, but what the fuck with Mark Marin? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you can only go back so far now. They have all the archives. Uh, so if you're like an absolute fucking loser, then you should... <laughs> I, I really recommend it. It's a, it's a solid deal. And also Stitcher in general, because, uh, you know, you don't really... 
think about like which app you're using for podcasts that often but right. like i got it and i was like oh this is this is ideal this is really i mean really especially good. if you're into podcasts like mm, you yeah. want to have full control over what you're yeah. what you're you know your library looks exactly so I'm, I'm plugging something that's fucking free right now so if you're not lazy just get on your phone right now i don't care if you're in traffic uh pull over <laughs> crash your car or just do it while you're driving yeah i don't care <laughs> anyway just drink drive download a new podcast app yeah all right let's get to what we've been watching hunter you wanna <laughs> all right um so this week um I had a chance to see a movie that I was pretty excited about. It kind of took a while to come to Orlando, and that is American Animals. Um, yeah, we had seen the. I feel like I saw the trailer for this like a like year a, ago. It's like a bank robbery. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it was originally released in January nineteenth. That of this makes year. sense. Yeah, because but like I saw this trailer so long ago, and then I totally forgot about it until it was airing. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, Written and directed by Bart Layton, who made The Imposter. I don't know if you guys have ever seen or no. heard of that, but I've heard amazing things about The Imposter. I wanted to have a chance to check that out, but I just didn't have time to. Um, but this is a movie that is... Um, it's really interesting how it's actually constructed. You guys both saw I, Tanya, right? I, yeah, I loved it. Okay. So yeah. it's shot in the same uh, manner where there's it'll cut from watching the actors to talking heads. But the talking heads they have are actually the real people that actually did this horrible thing. So the general idea of it is these group of uh, college-age kids in their young 20s uh, discovered that there was a very very uh like almost priceless book of paintings in their school library in this like forbidden section kind of that was like hidden off and everything and the main character who's played by barry keogh of um dunkirk oh, um yeah and killing of a sacred yeah deer. killing of a sacred deer him um he's going to the school he sees a kind of he has that whole thought process that you have whenever you so he's the lead see something um it, it's co-leads between him and Evan Peters. Okay. Um, I think Barry actually does a little bit of a better job than Evan Peters. I'm wondering if this Barry um, guy is about to have a little bit of a moment. He's The problem is they so goddamn ugly. So yeah. he's never going to get like a lot of leading roles that are reserved for more well, attractive he, people. He got the but, lead in the Why the Last Man TV series. Oh, I didn't know that. For FX. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah. So he kind of does this thing that, you know, like we all like watch like an oceans movie or something like that some of the heist movie it's almost just like what if like we did that and that's kind of a thought process that he had and he kind of broke brought up while he was just like chilling with evan peters like smoking a joint in their car you know college <laughs> kid things just like i think that like we could we could do this kind of a thing and then it gets a little bit of out of hand they start trying to plan this whole thing and I don't really want to spoil, even though technically it's real life, it actually happened, mm -hmm. like where exactly the movie goes. Um, this movie disappointed me just a little bit. Um, I think that it is good, but I think that it kind of missed the market. It had the potential to be something really, really special and great. Um, but one of the problems is, at least with me, it felt uh, very... Uh, it was it was very imbalanced in its tones. It went back and forth between both fetishizing uh, these people who committed crimes and also trying to like scold them uh, for their acts. And so it kind of led to this 
kind of inconsistent tone for yeah. me throughout. You know, I've that happens a lot. I feel like in heist type movies and like mob movies where it's glorifying it, and then by the end, it's like, hey, that was actually not cool. And, yeah, yeah. And there's a way to do that where it is really, really awesome. There's like a couple moments in this movie where, like, at first I was really on board. I was like, here we go. This is like Ocean's Eleven, but with like kids and just waiting to see where it goes. And then it just kind of, it'll take these like weird turns where you're like, I I just don't understand why that's really the direction that it went. And I get, it's based off of true property, so Mm -hmm. it doesn't have the benefit of being a fictional story that you can just do movie type of things and they don't, with it. They don't fictionalize any aspects. It's oh, a pretty it's, it's accurate. It's pretty over the top. I mean, one of the things that's really cool about this is Bart Layton, who does have a background in making documentaries, um, he really re- relies on kind of uh, how faulty our memory is. And it does kind of the Itania. Th- one of the reasons I compare it to Itania is this uh, whole unreliable narrator system that you have where it's it'll have the two characters in real life describing the man that they met at this like one stop. And one of them will be like, he had short white hair and a trimmed beard. And the other guy will be like, he was clean shaven, black hair with a long ponytail. And it's like, they're both remembering the things one certain way, but our memories are faulty. Yeah. And then it kind of gets into this whole thing where you're like, well, is any of this that I'm watching actually happening or is it all being dramatized, but not, for the sake of being the movie dramatized, dramatized because that's what your own memory inherently does, is you naturally want to make more of a story out of something than what actually necessarily happens. I mean, Mm -hmm. we all do it from day to day in our own lives, is to kind of dramatize stuff and make it as um, exceptional and extraordinary as we can. Yeah, And that's just like the way that we do storytelling. I'm interested if the film has anything profound to say about like aging and getting older and like looking back at your memories and what that entails for your older self looking back at your younger self. Well, that's kind of what I mean. It's really hard to get super into this movie without spoiling stuff. So I I would recommend that you guys check it out mostly because I would want to have a more spoiler filled conversation because I don't want to exactly describe where the movie goes because... I know it. I will say um, some things about it. There are some great dramatic moments. There's also some really funny moments. Um, shout out to the funniest point in the entire movie is before the movie actually started. Uh, I saw this movie at local art house theater here in town, the Enzian, and uh, it shows up with a big red screen. It says a movie pass production. Oh. There was an audible laugh in my theater. <laughs> like people audibly chuckled. Like, oh, this is dead now. That's really funny. <laughs> it was. That's really, really funny. That, that's why the Enzian got the rights because the Enzian's poor as shit, you know. But I think that if MoviePass would have done more stuff like American Animals, which is extremely unique and different than any other movie that we'll see, and less movies like Gotti, then I feel like they could have, they could have <laughs> kind of hit a little bit more, and they might have been able to go for a little bit longer. But um, I'm going to ignore the fact that you just talk shit about Gotti. First of all, <laughs> that's fucked. But. Uh, I, yeah, I was interested in this movie when I saw the trailer. I really, and then I just literally like negative buzz. Like we read like movie websites, and they didn't say anything about this movie for the most part. I can't remember I seeing any. Yeah, yeah nobody. Really it really because it just it premiered at Sundance or that's where uh, or maybe South by Southwest. No, it premiered at South by Southwest. Yeah, yeah. and movie 
Movie Pass had already picked it up by that point, yeah. or they picked it up at the Movie Pass because it first. Uh, I think it started as either a short or something like that. But Movie Pass kind of heard about it. I guess they saw a little bit of footage and they decided to pick it up. And Movie Pass helped put it on. They it played on opening night at South by Southwest. Like wow, it was a quiet place, and then. American Animals played like back to back with each other. That's crazy. Like, it did have really good buzz, but then that's like, probably that's because like a, they chose probably because they chose Movie Pass their production yeah. company, so it's not getting in wide theaters. That's, that's like when you hear about like how Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf went right next <laughs> yeah. to each other in the and draft. Like, and you're like, ugh, fuck, ugh. man. But I mean, I do think that this is this is a good movie, and I think that I just it almost kind of bugs me because you know whenever you see a movie and you're like. That was good. Like, I wouldn't say it's a bad movie, but it's disappointing because I feel like it could have been great. Yeah. It was similar to how I felt whenever the first time I saw Annihilation, where I was like, overall, I enjoyed that, but I felt like that could have been something really tran- transcendental and special, and it wasn't quite. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. That's that's interesting. I guess I, I would definitely recommend that you guys check it out, though. I, I guess it's a, it had a similar arc uh, to Thoroughbreds, if you think about it, where like it's it just might be a little too specific, and it might it very well may be good, but it just is didn't quite find the audience, didn't quite find the theaters to get butts in seats in time because like Thoroughbreds was out for about a weekend and then it was gone. Yeah, and I think to that point, we're at this time where like. The, the movies that do well in theaters are either like the superhero movies like or like a franchise you know something that's already established or these like really specific runaway things like a quiet place yeah. you know and if you don't do if it's anything, like a genre film yeah and if you don't do anything quite like that and you try to do something kind of weird and more niche it's nobody's going to see it. Like, well, look at first reform. Yeah. Look at look at thoroughbreds. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel I feel like the really even though I do have a uh, issues with his overall filmography, I feel like Christopher Nolan is the only real director, like the only real modern director, taking out like Steven Spielberg, who can release something that is Original. different and is artful, but can still actually make money. Yeah, yeah. and it, that's yeah. really not a lot of people. It, can yeah, do that. it's it's a hard business model because if you're putting out an indie film with like kind of a limited audience, it has to be really special, like a Lady Bird mm-hmm. or like an Eighth Grade is doing pretty well. Yeah, because they they are really special movies. But holding your movie to that standard is borderline impossible. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like if you come out with something that's just like every movie yeah, isn't going to be like a nine or a ten. Like yeah. that's just that's well, unreasonable to expect. Yeah. And so I feel like the ideal resting place for these movies is like streaming, like Netflix, because that's exactly. where the specific content as we were just talking about yeah. that. Um, but, you know, I guess you don't really know until no one goes to the movie if it's yeah. going to be a failure but or not. Then, but then you look at something like uh, when Netflix picked up the what, the Macon Blair film with the really long title. Yeah, um, I don't want to be alive in the whatever. It, yeah. I don't feel at home in this, this world, world Sounds anymore. like a post-punk band. That movie <laughs> is a good movie. It's, it's that perfect kind of middle of the road, you know, not bad but not amazing, just like good, solid, good movie. Mm-hmm. But... Netflix picked it up and then they buried it. They didn't promote it. They didn't yeah. put it on their front page at the top banner. Like they, you have to like hunt for that movie to see it. Yeah. And I think that's not the only movie that they've done that with. Absolutely not. And there's, there have been rumblings. The buzz about Netflix has gotten a bit negative lately because of their business practices in this way. And they're starting to in- sneakily introduce ads for their own content yeah. into right. like, they're just, they're floating it out there. Like, Hey, maybe you'll like this. Um, so yeah, there was a big piece in maybe the New York times somewhere recently that was like Netflix claimed it was like killing old TV and now it's becoming it 
Yeah, <laughs> it's reinventing um, it. Yeah, so uh, um, it's interesting. Before before we completely get off American Animals, I did want to shout a couple other people of the cast. Our girl Ann Dowd is in there, uh, and she is great. She is awesome. Yeah, I just man. anytime I see Ann Dowd in anything, I get excited. Also, a uh, Blake Jenner. Is in there? What? Shout out to oh, Glee, Flame, Glee Fame, Blake Jenner, and okay. Edge of Seventeen, in which he's great in, and also this guy um, who I thought actually he did a really solid job. I'd never seen him in anything before. His name is Jared Abramson, who he's in the show called Travelers. He was in Diary of a Wimpy Kid, I think, mm. as like a bully. Who's but, the MVP of the movie? Uh, I'd give it to Barry Keoghan. Keoghan. Yeah, like he is just. He was the Carries only person um, who I feel like because I feel like in this movie. In this type of a movie, it really takes strong, strong acting in order for you to both uh, cheer for the person to commit what is a crime and also be able to feel the sympathy that they feel while they're doing it, knowing that they're doing something wrong. And I feel like he really had the best performance in here. Evan Peters... Uh, was kind of acts as like the ringleader of this whole thing, and he's playing more kind of, of like a slimy this, dude. Is he kind of doing the same Evan Peters y shtick? No, I mean, he's not like doing, he's not like, we're, he's more of like kind of just like a slimy douchebag, which isn't something he necessarily does. He never goes like fully in like that. Usually he plays more of this like super conflicted person. He plays more of a character that like Barry Kogan plays. Um, especially in like a lot of the uh, American horror story kind of stuff like that, where you can tell he's a character who has a lot of shit going on in his life. Um, but yeah, I, I, once again, I mean, just, we don't have to linger on this too long cause I can't really talk about anything plot specific wise, but I, I definitely recommend you guys check this out. Let's get into one last thing before we take a break. Hunter and I, um, with Lee, we had the chance to see the 1968 masterpiece from Mr. Stanley Kubrick, 2001 A Space Odyssey, on the IMAX screen. So it wasn't a full IMAX. Um, it was the LIMAX, as they call it. What? Um, but who, this was, who calls it that? Really a lot quick. Of people do. Yeah, you okay. know, it's, people, it's people. not the full frame. <laughs> it, you know, it's a big screen with loud sound. Okay. <laughs> and I will say it was maybe a little bit too loud. There are points in this movie that get like really, Called really, out. really intense. I, and I, I had to like cover my ears a little bit and like wince because it was like really overwhelming. I think they could have done a little bit not not the movie's fault. This is more the projectionist's fault. Yeah, could have done a little bit better to mix it. Um, but regardless, this is a fucking masterpiece, mm. classic. The movie that kind of changed all movies. Mm-hmm. You know, this still watching this movie and like looking at some of these shots. It's like how, how the. Yeah. F- Fuck, there's one shot in particular that boggles my mind that it's um, two astronauts walking down this corridor where they're walking towards another corridor that is spinning. And then as soon as they step onto that spinning corridor, they start spinning along with it. It's and like, they step off like basically through the roof. It's, like, it's like, how the fuck did they do that? The, the way they do it is they're spinning that second hallway and then as soon as they step on it, they the start camera. spinning the camera with the along with the original hallway, and it's like yeah. things like that just absolutely blow my mind because every single sequence, every shot of this movie, everything about it in terms of production design and effects work holds up. This is a fifty-year-old mm-hmm. movie, and everything holds up, and it looks it looks like you're really seeing like shit in space, and like you're in a spaceship. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, I will say. Um... I actually, I 
the sound was probably one of my favorite things about it, that it was so goddamn loud. I mean, <laughs> Drew, have you seen 2001 before? I have a hot take. I've never seen it. Oh, okay, okay, that's okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, I'm a there's this one part where there's just this screeching noise whenever they see the monolith in space, and, like, it's, like, definite. Like, it yeah. rings in your ears. It's, like, like, terrifying. Yeah, no, it really is, like, jolting. Um, I... God, this movie is so fucking good. Like it, it's. I love a lot of people, especially like uh, people of our generation, kind of going and watching it might complain because it is very slow. Oh and yeah, plotting some it's sequences just very drag slow. Out. But the the spaceship just very slowly moving. Across yeah, the and screen. it's stuff that like it was made for a different time. But I love that everything is so meticulous in this film. It's Kubrick, um, man. It's funny, I saw this movie, uh, and I was wearing a David Lynch, a Twin Peaks The Return shirt whenever we saw it, and the last 10, 15 minutes of this movie, you watch it, and you're just like, oh, that's why David Lynch decided to go into filmmaking. Twin Peaks The Return Part 8. Yeah, like, Like, it's, you watch it, and you're like, this is obvious, like, it's kind of crazy, because, I mean... David Lynch has long said Kubrick is his favorite director. And before Kubrick died, he said that Eraserhead was his favorite film of all time. So, cool. so these are like two directors that have always just loved each other's work. And you can Cinematic tell that handshake. they, they have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they have this kind of thing where both of their works kind of coincide together in this beautiful way. I mean, it's hard to kind of compare David Lynch to Stanley Kubrick, I mean, but I Kubrick was pretty surreal though. Oh, no, I mean, and where this movie goes at the end Dude, of it is yeah. so fucking surreal. I mean, surreal. I'm, I'm sure you've I, heard of what the ending of 2001 is like, oh, but yeah. this entire sequence where the main character enters the Stargate portal, like, it is just fucking art to the maximum degree, and it is the most unbelievable, transfixing, mesmerizing shit you, you could watch it ever and you're just see. like, wow, Interstellar sucks. Like, <laughs> honestly. I was about to say. Not only, not only are you, again, thinking, how? How did they even do this? But, like, the effect it has on you as a viewer that you really feel like you're just being transported through yeah. space and time. It's, like, insane. It flashes from, like just this crazy visualization to him like slowly starting to shake and like I kind of felt myself in the seat feeling like I was along the ride like shaking going through this whole thing and um, I'm kind of curious because this has always been like a thing that people talk about what do you think Drew we're going to get into a little bit of spoilers for 2001 it's a 50 year old movie you should have seen it by now (laughs) what what does the black monolith represent to you? Oh, this is this I'm is leaving. one of those questions, man. Like, this is what I love about this movie is that for 50 years, people have been asking themselves what this movie means. Drew's walking away. <laughs> he's, he's done. What this movie means. And I love that. I love that there's no straight answer and that Kubrick deliberately made a piece of cinema that demands you to figure out the answers on your own. And he's not concerned. And there's with never, you. there's not really a right or a wrong yeah. answer to so it either. So I think, especially you know, revisiting it here, I think that we see the monolith at the dawn of man when the first ape picks up a tool, mm. and then we see it again on the moon uh, when humans are beginning to kind of uh, u- utilize space travel, and and we we even see a nuclear missile satellite. Which, by the way, is like one of the greatest cuts yeah. of all time. Yeah, Cutting is. from the first tool 
of this bone straight to like the most deadly, the deadliest tool yeah. mankind has ever made, the the nuclear uh, missiles. Amazing, amazing cut. And then we see it for a third time at the Stargate, where how the uh, this a, a computer is also essentially a tool, you know, a, a machine, a tool, and it becomes this sentient being that is outpacing humanity and how uh, is is aware of this mission and leads dave to this uh, star portal the stargate into like something yeah. <laughs> to wherever they go so we have these three markers of time from the beginning of humanity to the point where humanity was advanced enough to be this like you know, epically sentient uh, species that went into Can space. space, yeah. To then become something else that created this artificial intelligence and is moving beyond itself. So I think that what the monolith represents is just these significant moments in human existence. These, these like it's like evolution. Yeah. So basically like the beginning, the middle, and the end of humanity. Because at the very, very end, the last thing we see is Dave has become this like star child, this new thing, this new being. And it's it's not a human anymore. It's something else entirely. And I, I really like the theory that maybe there is some extra extra dimensional being somewhere in the background of all these events that is like monitoring uh like observing humanity and kind of like looking at the entire course of human history in this like very omniscient way and just kind of like looking like oh yeah like kind of pinpointing like here's the beginning here's the middle and here's the end and i really like that because at the very very end when dave is in that room it's like he's like being observed almost you Mm -hmm. even hear like little chatter in the background that's like it gave me like slaughterhouse five vibes (laughs) like how he's just being like kind of observed in a zoo so i that's kind of my take i i want to hear what what you think um i i do kind of I mean like I said there's not really a right or wrong answer to it um I do like watching this the first time I always viewed the monolith as a mark of evolution um of just ape becomes man man creates machine and then apparent eventually man evolves to the point where he's beyond mankind anymore um it is marked beginning and the end of humanity for humans to move on to whatever else next. Um, after rewatching it this time, I feel like it's more general than evolution. I feel like it's more so a marking of what I can just describe as new life. Um, and the way that it ends where you have this observatory in this beautiful white room watching the different stages of his life progress it kind of leads into this whole central idea that life itself is just this cyclical thing that we're born one day we die so that there can be more birth and then death and then birth and then death. That's just what life itself is all about. And I kind of view that ending as a marker for just saying like 
humans aren't going to be the the most advanced creatures of all time. Like we all know that. Like there's going to be something. Evolution has put us to this point where the most advanced creatures that we know of right now. But evolution doesn't end with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at if you just look at like the most simple things. I mean, look at fucking wisdom teeth in humankind. Like they're teeth that we don't have space for in our mouths anymore. Like evolution is still happening every few centuries and eventually humankind will die just like lots of other like millions upon millions of creatures that were here before us we are not the end game and i think that that's kind of what these uh monoliths and in a wider sense the story the movie itself is trying to say is that life in itself is cyclical there's a birth of a species and there's a death of a species just like there's a birth of a human and a death of a human This movie sounds like shit. (laughs) You'd probably think it's really fucking boring. No, I know. I would probably. Yeah, you'd be like, this isn't funny at all. Yeah. Where's Adam Sandler? Here's here's the pitch. Okay, it's it's a caveman. It's open on a caveman, cold open. He's like, you know, he kills a fucking fish with a stick. He's like, oh, I got something here. Smash cut to a black monolith. We have no idea what it is. We zoom out. It's a jewel. Oh, God. <laughs> fucking kill myself. It's an iPhone. It's an Apple commercial. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a jewel, and it's still the caveman. And he takes a fat rip, and he goes, "Nice." <laughs> he says, "Sodded." I didn't come here to be smarter. Analyze a film. No. Okay. Um, yeah, I I just love the fact that like this movie's fifty years old, and people still don't know I mean, what the fuck it means. We can talk about it to death, like, dude. I, everything I with that. Hal is just. Unbelievable! How singing so Daisy good. as he dies oh, so haunting. It's so good. Um, also, we should talk about because we saw us in theaters. There was an intermission. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. I've never been to a movie where there was an actual intermission between it. Which great. this movie has the same length of Blade Runner twenty forty nine. After watching this, I was like, why the fuck did I get an intermission during Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Because people would just leave. <laughs> people did not like that movie. <laughs> That's why. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, should probably check it out. Let's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you get around to it, I'd probably check out, like, you know, fucking Happy Time Murders first. Yeah. No, you know what I saw this week? I saw fucking uh, You've Got Mail. (laughs) Oh, dude. Yeah. (laughs) You've Got Mail. They're about on the same level. Yeah. Let's take a break. And when we get back, we're talking crazy, rich, Asians. That's Pharrell Beat. Normal, poor, white people. Be right back. Going about my life, doing my nerd culture things, because you know, like nerds are so fucking cool now, Dude, guys. What's funny and is like when we were in school, like everyone made fun of us and broke our glasses, and now they make our glasses. Yeah, and like a lot of it's just like thanks to Big Bang Theory. But I feel like I've been watching so much of it that I now have a laugh track following me around everywhere yeah, I go. It's like, I like go there and I like drop some papers on the floor, and it's like a booming like. Ha! And I've been mocked for it so profusely because of this laugh track. Because other people around me can hear it too. Yeah. And then they join in on the laughter. But it's more of like how normal people laugh. Where they're like, 
Yeah. No, but yeah, me and my dork friends, we know what shit is really funny. And it's like nerdy shit. Yeah. Like it's when people are, are like dumb and weird and like they like science, but they're also stupid somehow. Drew's like really the Sheldon of the group where we'll just be Bro. sitting there talking about stuff. And I'll be like, actually, if you look at the square root of pi, minus the 74th and then. Yo, when Sheldon knock on Penny door, like I've absolutely lose my mind. Dude. Yo, yeah, dude, dude. I, I love that one guy who's just like, I'm sad. Like, why does nobody ever like me? Why don't girls like me? The, yeah. the best thing about nerds finally owning the world is that we can own the libs. Yeah. We can stick it to the libs and cry about Star Wars being run by women. Exactly. Thank yeah. you, Big Bang Theory. They used to call us incels. Now they call us wind cells. Guys, I have, I have breaking news. What? Br Big Bang Theory's canceled. <gasps> no! <laughs> no! Maybe the voices will stop in my head now, but no! Yeah, Sheldon's out. He pulled the plug. He was like, fuck this shit. I'm out. Man, first solo. I hope that he's going to try and make it... <laughs> I hope he's going to try and make it as a movie star and it fails miserably. Well, I mean, we know why it was canceled. It's so niche. Like, it's so, it's for, like... Yeah, the, nobody watched man, it. Man, like, I, I know, like, three other dorky nerds in my life that like, like, Star Wars <laughs> and, like, Marvel movies and shit. Like, there, there's just not an audience for yeah, that dude. shit. Yeah, like, dude. All right, so we're back because I have a real true story to tell. So... I recently graduated college. Oh, um, I'm not exaggerating when I say, um, don't congratulate me. I have so much pounding debt on my hands. Um, I am not exaggerating when I say in three different classes that I've taken over three different semesters, a teacher has played a clip or a full episode worth of Big Bang Theory. I am paying a full tens episode? of thousands of dollars <laughs> To watch fucking Big Bang Theory in college classes. Don't go to UCF. UCF is a scam school. So look forward I'm to... I'm just kidding. I, I love you and I'm part of the alumni program. Go Knights. And yeah. Uh, announcing our full recap, uh, recapables of the final season of the Big Bang Theory. We're going to go through every episode, break it down mm. for how you. Do, how do you guys feel like the ending's going to compare to How I Met Your Mother ending? Oh, Are we going to find out who they should probably just did recast. the Big Bang Theory? They should... <laughs> who banged the Big Theory? Yeah. I you should recast Sheldon with like, yeah. uh, I don't know, Josh, Josh Gad or it's something. Just, it's just fuck because like the only person who could be Sheldon on that show is Stephen Hawking, and now he dead. <laughs> so Bazinga. I mean, I think just all the nerds is dead now. Now all that's left is like me and my nerdy friends. You know? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get to our review <laughs> of this week's podcast. Um, we're talking. Crazy rich Asians. Crazy colon rich hyphen Asians. Mm -hmm. Is that the, the a Star Wars story? <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, guys. So this movie's kind of a big deal. You yeah. know, I think we should start off with saying that, like, we don't get many all Asian cast movies. This there's, is the first one, all Asian cast in twenty five years. Yeah. There's Asian people behind the camera, mm -hmm. and in terms of just like, you know, employing. Asian people in a movie about Asian people I think one of the things that it does really well is that it kind of shows Asian culture in a way that's not like uh, it represents it in, in an yeah. accurate way and it does something mm -hmm. that not a lot of of Hollywood movies do that it it, it shows a, a slight distinction between 
Asian and Asian American. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's very similar. They get lumped in together a lot of times. Yeah, I drew a lot of parallels between this and the big sick. Where yeah, I'm glad that you brought because I had that same feeling too. Yeah, they're, they're very similar in that. And and even movies. The ag- uh, immigrant experience. Yeah, movies like My Big Fat Greek Wedding. This is it's it's this is a romantic comedy. It's not like Asian exploitation, like a like Kill Bill or some shit. It's kind of it's like the opposite of even something like Isle of Dogs, which is paying a little bit of a tribute. It's still a lot of white people behind it. Like be like, look how cool and exotic this thing is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So what we have here is a pretty. Uh, cut and dry, like tested and like consistently good rom com formula of yeah. yeah of you know the the audience surrogate which is played by Constance Wu uh, is like a, you know a middle class professor uh, you know came from nothing and she is with a guy who she somehow doesn't know his like riches absolute fuck yeah this um, guy's like a yeah, celebrity yeah and it's I, and it's just what ensues after that is just like a meet the family movie but with like so many you know so much more color and and uh different culture yeah different setting different actors than we've seen different everything it is that's what breathed freshness into yeah. this movie that had a plot that we've seen before. Exactly. One one of my favorite aspects of this film is just the shots of like the landscapes mm-hmm. and like the Ugh. the Asian locations, uh, the 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 really lavish, luxurious interiors of some of these houses, and the food porn. Oh my god! The, the food really porn is great. like yeah. just. Uh, Mouth watering fucking yeah. shots of this food. It's like, oh my god, it was so good. Mm-hmm. And I, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, no. Sorry, you can finish your. Thought. Oh no, sorry, no, no, no. Go ahead. Oh no, no. Sorry. Oh no, you, sorry. Um, yeah. Okay, man, that's class, um, that's class, <laughs> classic, classic. What band bit? You guys had to be yeah. here from episode zero to yeah. get that. Um, we're such, um, a, we're such nerds. <laughs> um, so <laughs> one thing that I do really, really love about this movie is how unabashedly and unapologetically Asian it all is. There's no appropriation happening here. This is truly like the culture and it's like you stepped in and see all this and that comes through with not just the food that they're eating or something like that, but really with the family dynamics too. Um, how a lot of Asian cultures are very matriarchal mm-hmm. in that yeah. men are usually out doing like working and stuff like that but women are really the head of the household they're the people who run the family and it always comes down to family first even if that contradicts with some american ideals of pursuing your dreams and your passion and that yeah that is the primary connection between this and the big sick where kumail's struggle in that movie is a culture struggle he's like the american dream is to be an individual and to make your own choices and to try to be happy the pursuit of happiness in theory that's the american dream that we're sold uh, and the you know the that clashes directly with the customs of the you know the it's two different Asian cultures but they have a lot of similarities and the struggles are very similar that are depicted where it's do I honor my family and do what they want like every generation before me has done or do I go off on my own and this movie I, it started a little slow for me and by the end of it I really enjoyed it how did yeah, you guys feel I I, I um I thought. I think a lot of my uh, overall, I thought it was like fine, like good, like pretty good. But um, I think a lot of that just comes from the fact that I, I just don't really vibe with rom-coms as much. Mm. And this is just like a pretty straight up rom-com and a lot of the rom-com aspects of it. Like I just wasn't into, I, I didn't really click with the romance as much. The things about this movie that it was really about just weren't fleshed out enough like the the relationship between Constance Wu and Michelle Yeoh like her trying to deal with this kind of 
very intense and and almost like hostile mother-in-law mm-hmm. figure. I wish that that would have been a bigger uh, focus of the film because I thought that those were some of the best scenes, probably the best scenes in the film were between those two performers. Yeah. And Michelle Yeoh is like such a fucking Legend. titan that she should have been ge- given more to do in this movie. She is like, I, I saw her in, in Star Trek Discovery earlier this year. She is like so badass, like slicing dudes in that movie. Like she could, she could fuck Dude, you I mean, up. She's in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And in, like, in she this movie, incredible. like she's good, but like, I feel like she could do a lot more. And ultimately, like, because this is just kind of a straight up rom-com, the ending just didn't work for me. And, and we'll get to this in spoilers, but you already drew the comparison to the big sick. I think the big sick is like a, a pretty sizable margin better than this. Mm simply because this movie doesn't really do anything special in terms of the story it's trying to tell it's it's special in like the cultural representation and the fact that it is you, you know it's shining a, a a deserved spotlight on this culture that doesn't mm. get represented in hollywood movies but in terms of like the story being told here i i didn't really connect with it as much as i did with uh with something like the big sick yeah, um, I did want to say, as much as I applaud this movie for uh, what it means to the culture, I did have, I am kind of in the same make with you, where I thought that it was, it was good, it was, it was fine, yeah. but I have a lot bad. of problems with it as a film, uh, namely like the pacing wise, is that it feels like it needs to be longer, but at the same time, it felt like this movie was dragging on and on forever. There's a couple of plot lines like subplot lines that i want to talk about in spoilers that just did not work for me whatsoever crammed and i kind of am curious if you guys had similar feelings um one great thing i will say uh you guys touched on it but the set design this movie is probably the best i've seen all year and like the the set and the costume costume yeah i i had that written down it's unbelievable i really uh, wanted to wedding the wedding the wedding is one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen like that was absolutely gorgeous but there's about there's like three different endings in this movie and yeah we'll, we'll get to that in spoilers. it's subverted but the second one that was coming i was like applauding it i was like yes this movie's going there it's doing the thing and then it wraps up all neat and tidy like every rom-com does which just kind of it bothered me i know this is based on a book but still um another thing was the humor didn't really work for me um I saw I, your, this might be I a hot take, tweet. but um, I saw your fucking tweet, are Hunter. We, are we sure Aquafina's funny? Okay, yes. so she's like one of the best parts of here's, the movie. Here's the thing: when you know someone for as long as I've known you, you <laughs> you leave a movie and you already know what Hunter's gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know why. I just I just left and I was like, but Hunter so didn't did like Aquafina. Just, I just she's so like. <laughs> Over the top, but not like like Ken Jong didn't bother me as much as Aquafina did. Aquafina's oh. character okay, so was so you're just... not racist, but you are sexist then. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think on on a little bit counterhand. I thought Michelle Yeoh was the MVP of this movie. Like, I think that she really like fucking yeah. killed it between her and um also the grandma. I'm blanking on the oh uh, loose Lucy. Yeah, but something. like talk about making the most with limited Lisa screen Luke. time. Yeah, like she really was incredible to me. Um. I, this movie really, also doesn't really give much for the dudes to do in this. Like, oh yeah. I know it sounds They're weird, but characters. dude, Henry Golding is not a character. <laughs> like, he's literally he's a fucking Ken doll. Like, he's just yeah. there to be pretty and hot, which is you know what, usually what girls are for no, in these yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good it's a good reversal. Yeah, there. but I I mean I agree. It would be great if that was more complex. It would be great if this movie were more complex, mm-hmm. but. 
this movie is a big this is not trying to be the big sick at all this is a big visual spectacle movie this movie looked dazzling like i was i was swept up in the way that it looked that i was for the most part able to ignore the stupid uh story and like the characters some of the characters didn't work some of them really worked we're introduced to so many of them yeah there's it's too many (laughs) because it's like the big fat greek wedding it's you know there's an audience surrogate and like her we meet so many people because that's what the story is it's her meeting a shitload of people yeah another thing i will say about that that i did think was really cool was there are characters that if you would just see, just pick one of these characters and put them in a different movie, it would be like, oh, that guy's doing the Asian stereotype. But we see so many different types of people in this that each of them are doing a different quote-unquote stereotype that I thought that all really worked. Yeah. Another thing, shout out to, this movie only had a $30 million budget. It didn't have no a huge, way. lavish budget. $30 million. Great. And it looked like it could have been a $100 yeah. million dollar budget movie. And, and another thing that I think that can explain a lot of, like, this movie's uh, shortcomings is the fact that it got greenlit despite the fact that it's an all Asian cast. It had to have a lot of traditional elements mm-hmm. of a movie going to, uh, on. To appeal to a mass or audience. Else, or else they're just not going to get and, $30 million. And I, I will say that the audience, I saw this in like a pretty packed theater. Yes, yeah, so did they I. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah, it was a good, they loved it. I thought it was a good theater experience movie. Um, the, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's it's almost like I, I've read that quote before about how uh, at a certain point getting mad at a movie for being made of tropes is like getting mad at a tree for being made of wood. Yeah. I where think it's said like that before, yeah. and like there are movies that push the boundaries of what movies are and are like break things down to certain elements that are incredible. And then sometimes there are just movies that are just movie movies. Well, yeah, it's like there's a reason why they're tropes. It's because they work. And yeah. I, yeah, and this movie did work for me despite the fact that I definitely had problems with it. So, but I, I want to give like a thing that I loved about this movie that I thought this movie did perfectly. I think that I don't think worked for, Mel, for me. Um, one of them was, you guys touched on it, but the whole immigrant experience, the difference between being Asian and Asian American and kind of having this feeling for, if you're Asian American, you kind of have this feeling that you don't belong anywhere. Because if you're an American, you're Asian American, people look at you and they go, you're Asian. You're not like us. Mm-hmm. And if you go to Asia, people say you're American. Oh, you're not wow, like yeah. us. So you just have this feeling that you don't really belong anywhere. And I thought that uh, namely through Constance Wu's performance, I thought that that came across beautifully. Yeah, um, this was a big deal for her. She, I did, really, she did a good job. I really came around on her. I think the first maybe yeah. half of the movie, I was not feeling it. She's on but a, by the end, uh, fresh off, fresh off the boat. Yeah. yeah. By the end, I was totally about her and her performance. Yeah, she. Yeah, she was very good. I think the movie in general started a bit slow because it started a lot more hacky than it ended. By the end of it, it had a lot of originality yeah. to it. The beginning. I mean, the thing that bothered me maybe the most is just the stupid little thing of the fact that he didn't ever mention to her that he's royalty. But or like social yeah. media exists and you yeah. can just like just, kind of. Yeah. Look at yeah. I mean, there's this really cool shot at the very beginning of the movie where somebody takes a photo of it and like it instantly spreads around the internet. That. that was so cool. The visualization and there was, there was some really cool really flair. Like, yeah, directing that was another this. thing. And this has graphics in it. And you're like, what the hell? Those look, look cool. great. Yeah. They look so cool. Yeah. But they're only in that one scene. And then. Yeah. It never and then, well, and then it keeps going. And like you see like a map of there's a map graphic there are a few different there's a couple but and um one of the things where i thought was the best directive moment for the movie is when um i'm blanking julie whenever she first uh 
or Rachel, excuse me, that's her name, whenever she first enters into this nice house and there's like a two minute long take where it just flashes between her meeting all these characters and it's a wonder and yeah, it like twirls around right. and you get different like moments with each of the characters saying their own thing, seeing how different all the people in this family are, but you can tell they all have like yeah. some kind of crazy things yeah. going on in them. I'll- I, I just wanted to say one thing that I wish this movie would have wrestled more with is it really doesn't have anything to say about class or wealth or anything like that. And I do think that yeah. it does very much fetishize like this whole like, well, being wealthy kind of gets rid of a lot of the problems that you have. And it never really makes a statement on that. Like mm-hmm. instead, it's just kind of used as like a backdrop of just Especially like, oh, at yeah. the end. It's like, yay, we're all rich. Yeah, exactly. Happy. Yeah, it doesn't. And I wish that it kind of would have gone more into this whole thing of uh, Michelle Yeoh disliking her because she is from this poor background. It's like it's very subtly mentioned at points, but it never actually makes a statement on the that. the biggest statement of that like i mean the biggest it gets in the movie is uh at the end and mm-hmm. during the the mahjong game without spoiling too much where she does have that little monologue and i thought that was a pretty great monologue that was one yeah. of the best I, moments I wanna, that i've seen i want to get into spoilers so let's give some some final thoughts i i think my biggest complaint with this movie and why i can't really call it great is because of the fact that it is i think it's because it's based on a book i don't think they did a good enough job adapting the the book to a, a screenplay it feels the pacing just feels really yep. really horrible i think a lot of the subplots and the characters just feel absolutely crammed mm-hmm. and you don't really get to spend time with like any of the the number of characters it's that both rushed to. and crammed which is a common thing with adapting books it, it didn't allow me to really care about anything that was happening because every 10 minutes you were being introduced to another person um that's really the the big thing here but in terms of like enjoyment i think most of the cast because you're being introduced to so many people there's a lot of entertainment value with that and you're constantly like being introduced to like another like funny or or appealing character um and then you know to reiterate what i said earlier i i really wish that the the themes the 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 one of the the themes of her struggling with the the mother-in-law and that like back and forth that they have with the the issue of Rachel not feeling like she will ever live up to the expectations and then at one point being told that she will never live up mm-hmm. to those expectations i i wish that that would have been a a much more central focus of the film i i wish that we hadn't spent as much time with like the bachelor party or the any number of these subplots and the movie would have just been about that i really would have loved that i don't think the movie gets made if it's about that and i think if it gets made it's about like a five million dollar budget movie that is like that is a great point it has to be the whole sell of this movie is it's big it's huge it's rich it's It's a summer movie yeah Yeah, and it it needed that because it didn't have sadly these people aren't famous they kind of should be mm-hmm. um but it didn't have like a name to sell you so it sold you that it sold you images of shit you can't even imagine um that's why i, I forgive a lot of the shortcomings of this movie i think they were necessary to get it made and i'm glad it was made and i just i had a good time it reminds me of when i saw it in theaters if you think about that movie it's fucking stupid and in the theater i loved it like i had a good yeah. time um, it's a weird uh, comparison to draw. A lot of the comedy didn't work for me. A lot of it did work. I think Aquafina was actually pretty great. Yeah, I, I loved her. I thought um, she was great. She, I think you're overthinking this, Hunter. I, I just, <laughs> she, I didn't like her in Ocean's Eight, and I kind of chalked that oh, up to the writing. She is way better in this than in I chalked that up to the writing, and she is better in this, but I still just like, 
It's one of those things where this is a bad comparison because I do think she's more talented than Kevin Hart. But it's like whenever <laughs> oh, I'm like in every single movie that I see, I see a trailer for Night School, and anytime Kevin Hart says something like "I got learning herpes," everybody in the audience dies laughing. I'm like, Kill is that funny? <laughs> and like I felt like I've had she did have some good lines in this, but there was also just some moments where I just like. Her character was just, it was very by-the-numbers, best friend kind of mm. audience surrogate introduction into this whole thing. And that just, I, I every time that she came onto the screen, she didn't carry the role enough for me to just be like, all right, I know that this movie is already feeling like rushed because of pacing. Let's just move on so we can just kind of advance this plot okay. a little bit more. Um. I guess I, I I totally vibed like, with everything she, she was. The doing. thing is, yeah, the thing Maybe is, she had, she had lines that definitely didn't work, but she didn't write them. I think her delivery of everything was right. I think that she ne- she's good at mugging in the camera. Mm-hmm. She her voice sounds like a sixty year old New Yorker lady. Yeah. Like she has a really unique sensibility about her. Um, I I'm a fan. I really I haven't seen Ocean's Eight, so I like was not really familiar with her. I thought she did a good job. Uh, I think for the most part, the cast did a good job. There are underwritten characters. There are pacing issues. And I was able to overlook most of that until afterward. And I was writing about it. And I was like, there are definitely issues there. But the job of a you know big theater movie isn't for you to kind of intellectualize it so and much. I think my the my biggest- favorite... Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, a character who worked more for me as a, like, funny guy um, was Oliver. I thought that Oliver, the uh, the gay, the, as he called himself, that the was, rainbow sheep of the family. That was a great character. That was, yeah. I loved him. Every yeah. time that he was on the screen, I like couldn't get enough of this guy. Yeah. Like I was just like, I just want him to be like mm-hmm. one of the main focal oh, points of this movie. I I invented a new award that we're going to hand out today for the first time. It's it's the Matt Damon Award for a guy with a cameo in a movie that makes the whole audience go, oh. And it went to Ken Jeong in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole, I don't know, but my whole audience was like, Huh. Ken Jong is <laughs> they, all, they all had the most he it was, was like in a, community. <laughs> yeah, it was just the most like, oh yeah, yeah, f- yeah, for sure. Okay, more <laughs> let's have him. <laughs> I was I was gonna say that I think one of the biggest winners of this film is uh just movies about Asian people. Like mm. n- this movie is doing really, really well at the box office. It only dropped like five or six percent in the second weekend. So that means that despite any criticisms or complaints like it's making money which means that other uh, screenplays about Asian people are going to be greenlit which is ultimately better that's the best thing about this movie yeah and sorry what's the director's name John 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 M. Chu oh my gosh he did such a good job like he's done like pretty shitty he's done a lot of shitty like he made the step up movies a couple sequels he'd made um he actually directed never say never the Justin Bieber documentary (laughs) yeah no but that was actually like a really popular documentary I've never seen it but I've heard that it's a really well made doc I've never seen it either yeah. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> this this movie was shot with the grace and the warmth of uh, any Gary Marshall rom com. Like, mm. and yet with set comparison. and w- but with set design yeah. and costume design, that's a million times the, better. The shot where um, uh, what's his face, Henry Golding, and the the guy that's getting married are sitting on that uh, oh, on that little raft like, or raft whatever, just thing. looking into like a beautiful landscape. It's like yeah, choices like that are like if we're shooting this movie. In Singapore, let's just take the time to yeah. set up a shot that just looks beautiful like this. It's mm. just, it's a, 
it's a really beautiful movie, and I'm I'm on the record that I definitely prefer story heavy movies to good looking movies that lack in story. And yet, like this movie kind of stunned me with how good it mm. looked. Like it, it's very as a very romantic yeah, approach to like, Asia, which is really cool. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I do like the Big Sick more because it does have a more heartfelt story. And, oh, yeah. and better mm. fleshed out characters. But this movie, it scratched a different itch. It's just a whole different and thing. I, I think uh, Big Sick came a lot close it doesn't quite do it but it came close to like transcending the rom-com genre yeah, yeah. and being something else entirely yeah um but before we get into spoilers you guys want to rate this at all i was thinking like a six but you guys are kind of talking me more into like a seven i'm right around fucking like, like it no i did like it no 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 <laughs> like i said overall i did think it was good i'm probably feeling like around like probably 6.5 ish like there are it's hard for me to like as much as I love what this movie represents and what this movie is doing, the culture, if we're viewing this, analyzing it just as a singular movie, I do think that it's not, I wouldn't call it great or anything like that. I do, I love this and I love that movies like this are made and that can help make something that really is truly special and a masterpiece that with an all Asian cast or even not just Asian cast, like we could get like, an all black cast. We could get an all Indian cast. The fact that we can have people mm. who or just can mix be just it all very up. diverse. <laughs> just mix it. Yeah. More I, white people. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I really, I would give this movie a solid seven uh, for what it is. I think it is great. I don't, I think it succeeded in trying to do exactly what it wanted. It's definitely the, one of the best rom-coms of the yeah, of recent memory. Within the confines of the genre. Yeah, it was trying to be a big, extravagant rom-com, and there have been many before it, and this did just as well, if not better, in most departments than them. And with all this, you know, the issues I had with the storytelling of the movie, by the end of it, I was genuinely invested in Constance Wu's character. Mm-hmm. I really was. Yeah. Uh, I think she did a great job. I, we'll talk about the specifics of it, but I do think that the Mahjong scene is one of the best scenes I've seen in a movie this let's, year. Let's get into spoilers. Yeah. For... And we don't even know how. I mean, I don't know how Mahjong works, but, no, you, but you yeah. know, in the context of that scene, anyway. Crazy Rich Asian spoilers starting right now. Go, 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 go. Okay, so um, I want to talk about the ending a bit here because this kind of ties into the whole Mahjong thing. This movie, I thought it was going to go somewhere that really yeah. genuinely surprised me. You thought me. that they weren't going to end. I up thought together. that it was going to end up being a thing. Where I was it's like, just like yes, you don't do. It. And yes, I thought yes. at that point, I was like, wow. This made me reevaluate everything. Like this movie is realistic now, and I kind of love it for doing that. And then we—that's what I was talking about. We get the first ending with the whole wedding scene. Everything seems happily ever after, and then it's not. You learn all this drama behind the big twist. Yeah. Her mother. I have some papers like that. that prove a thing. I have very important papers. Christopher <laughs> Robin showed up for a minute, um, and it just kind of became like. So many of the rom-coms I've seen before, it was Adam Sandler showing up in the airplane, yeah. singing to, to her. To, to be honest, I did not like the fact that they just introduced this like big conflict at the very last second. So, and then she's like going through the party, like freaking out about it. That, is, like, oh, that no, is a plot line I don't need this. that I would bet money that there's another scene that had to hit the editing room floor. Mm-hmm. I, like there has to be oh, a scene to set up. The there twist. has to be a scene that was cut where the, the, you know, the mom is on the phone saying, Hey, look into this girl. Okay. That's, you know, that's all we needed, but that's probably two minutes that just had to go. Cause this movie's two hours. It is. It's a long for wrong. Yeah. And speaking to that, I feel like that's also the same thought that I had with there's the bachelorette party and there's a character who's introduced as like oh yeah i'm gonna be your friend yeah and like immediately you know that something's wrong and then 
you don't even have time to forget that initial gut feeling you have because two minutes later she turns. And it's like we needed time for it to be like a good deception. You have to be lulled into the deception so that it hits you. But if I'm always have it like right in the forefront of my mind, then whenever it actually happens, it's not surprising to me. It's not totally agree. And then the whole subplot of um, the Gemma Chan's character oh, uh, yeah. and her uh, husband's affair did not you work for me whatsoever. could have just taken that out of the movie. I, that's the thing from the book where I feel like they could have, to fix a lot of the pacing issues, they could have just taken that character straight yeah, out of the yeah. story. Well, that would have cut out like 10, 15 it, minutes. It, it, you know, based on the ending when like she turns and looks slyly at this new man, they're probably just trying to set she's, up a sequel. She's going to fuck. Which they are making a sequel, exactly. I should say. And the thing is, I thought Gemma Chan was stunningly good. Yeah. like mm-hmm. she Well, she's a it. great actress. Her, she's, she's done good work. Yeah, the before. whole time I was watching her plotline, I was like, well, this doesn't matter too much, but she is absolutely killing it. Yeah, she has her own show called Humans. Yeah, it's true. If she stars in the next one, I would watch it. Like, she did such a good yeah. job. And what? a character that was just like, why are you even here? Let's just, not forget her most notable <laughs> role, which is in uh, Transformers The Last Night. Kill me. No way. Her, her boyfriend her husband uh is so sexualized and it's like that's kind of you never see that with an asian man we were introduced to him by seeing those abs yeah (laughs) seeing that torso but it's like it's kind of cool to see like you know obviously it's like it's not great to just have the guy just be a torso yeah of a character but it's like you never see men like sexualized those asian men yeah Yeah, it was it was reversing the classic you know the american uh, things with with asian stereotypes is that it's sexualizing the women and the exact opposite for the dudes and it's screwed and yeah, they did a good job of that. I mean, the dude, what's the the lead guy's name? Henry whatever, Henry Golding. Golding. That dude's that dude's a good looking guy. Yeah, he's good looking. His yeah. character is so bad. He's not. A, His, a he was person. my least favorite character, not just because he was underdeveloped, because he was a bad. He. That's what I where I thought the movie was going. I thought she was going to say the fact that you didn't tell me any of this stuff is grounds for breaking up alone. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, your family is so fucking mean. He knew they were going to be like this. Like, by all intents and purposes, he knew how his mom is and how his family is. He knew she was going to get attacked, and he just didn't tell her. Yeah. Until she asked. Like, I would dump that guy. I don't care. I mean, I guess he's and a And there's nothing memorable about his other than he's pretty hot like that's not it yeah he just like it's great that he proved himself but he needed more consequences i i agreed that i wish the ending would be her having a talk a very adult talk with him and just being like hey the family shit and then on top of that Mm -hmm. you as a whole like what's the deal like we're done i thought that was a great that would have been a great last moment of them and then it's like you have the whole thing and it's supposed to make up for them kind of changing everything around the fact that he proposes and this time he has his mother's ring like he got the mother's yeah. permission finally that but was that's a, not enough for I know me. I thought that was a good moment like I thought that was a cool reveal and you know the plot mechanics of that were pretty cool that like there no words had to be said you were shown and that you, you know that exactly the mom got what the approval. yeah I thought that was pretty neato uh but man, I just really wanted that guy to just like get his fucking head yeah. cut off I thought he I mean his character sucked because the the mahjong scene is Maybe the best scene in the movie because you have all of this tension that's been building throughout the movie to this moment where she finally like tells Michelle Yeoh's character like know that 
when your son is happy with a new marriage, it's because of me because I girl. allowed yeah, it to yeah. happen. That's, you're like, wow, a poor and, immigrant. Wow, yeah. that and it's is amazing. And it's like a class. You know, we've seen scenes like this a million times where they're playing chess or whatever or checkers. We can understand like right the moment the, where the, 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 the yeah, like the dynamics. moment where the person wins the argument is when they win the game, yeah, like yeah. etc. This we don't know how that fucking game works, but we I kind of do now. No, I mean it was <laughs> uh, like it was very obvious while watching, even though like said like i don't know how to play mahjong but it's obvious that like she knew she was letting through the mechanics of the game she was letting her win in the same way that she's letting her win this thing but she is allowing this to happen yeah Yeah, and she has the trump card at the end of it it seemed like she ended up winning well she could have she could have won she She like lays it down like shows that she could have won already yeah yeah exactly she gave her the win yeah it was that was a well-written and well-directed scene um yeah i was a big fan of that um dude dude could have gone and fucked off i would have been fine with that uh but yeah i i don't know but like that scene i was really really feeling the movie yeah um and And i I was hoping for that you know subversive ending i was like oh my god movie you know one of the have you guys seen the breakup with vince vaughn and jennifer aniston that's not a good movie but one of like the coolest thing it does is at the end they just break up and Mm -hmm. then it it cuts to like a year later and they see each other on the street and they have like an awkward conversation but then they both look back and they give each other a look like we're cool and then it's over that is so that's cool yeah i I thought that's that's real life i saw that when i was a kid i thought that was the coolest ending i've ever seen yeah like that's just real life like especially because in 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 this movie when they do end up together and they're like you know what let's not go back to america let's just keep partying here it's just like it's nice it's sweet it's a good ending for a cloud uh, crowd pleasing movie yeah but it's like i just rolled my eyes at that yeah. i was like come on like what was what, I, I don't give a shit about this. what were your guys thoughts on the whole second act with the bachelor bachelorette party uh, I was pretty whatever about it. I didn't really care for any of that stuff. Very cool. Looked awesome. Best cameo in the movie is the the kid from Silicon Valley. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Doing his thing. Jimmy, Jimmy, something. He, yeah, he was great. Um, it was. I mean, it was all really stupid and. <laughs> Uh, Jin Yang. Yeah, it was all dumb. It looked really, really fucking awesome. Like a fucking, you know, a sh- what's a what are they, a, a yeah. cargo ship yeah. in the middle of like like fucking the- pirate waters. <laughs> like whole, that was cool. The best part about that whole scene is the fact that like before they even go their separate ways, they go there and there's an airplane hangar with like Lamborghinis and Maseratis yeah. there and like fucking airplanes and they're just like chilling there, just like drinking what you can assume is like high high class liquors and everything else that was my favorite part and whenever that started i was like oh fuck yeah like here we go it was almost like i i i really wish that um john john chu would have directed a great gatsby movie because i do actually think (laughs) old sport i think that he gets something right even if i do kind of disagree and wish that would have made more of a statement i do think that he does get something right about the fetishization of uh like the wealthy and rich culture and like it seems like if he would have made a movie like Great Gatsby, where that's the entire purpose of the movie is exploiting this whole thing, and then also seeing the dark recesses underneath that, then I feel like that would work really well. Yeah, replace yeah. But put then him it's in there not instead a of Jay Z. Yeah, and there was just there was just never really a doubt that this movie had to resolve itself, and it it couldn't get too deep. Like yeah. <laughs> that's not what the movie's for. Uh, I wish it were. I wish like big you know bigger budget rom-coms could also like have really deep shit to say but that's so rare it's it's just not in the the dna of the genre which i think is why i just don't respond to that genre like 
I've never really lo- loved a, a rom-com ever. Like the only romantic movies that I like are the before trilogy and mm. those aren't rom-coms. No, no. You know, those are dramas. So it's like, it, I think my problems just lie in, in, in a, me personally not being into the conventions of the genre. Well, and I do feel like there's a way because I do like some rom-coms because, but I feel like the rom-coms that I really respond to are stuff that flip this cookie cutter culture that rom-coms are because I mean that's why it's so easy I feel like rom-coms are the easiest movie to make or to write for because they all follow pretty much the same plot beats and whenever you make a rom-com that kind of turns these uh these like rules of romantic comedies on their head that's what I more respond to and then whenever it comes on to the end of the day for this movie it doesn't really do anything new or different for the genre well, except having an all Asian cast, yeah. Yeah. which I mean is a big Asian, thing. Yeah, yeah it's story. Th- that's why, man. I th- I think this movie is so groundbreaking in so many ways that I'm I'm just fine with what it is. It could be yeah. so yeah. much. It could be so much more. You're, but you're kind of you're kind of winning me over a little <laughs> bit, just a little bit, because I I keep my mind keeps going to these like really lavish luxurious shots yeah. like the wedding and just the I, interiors of I the think house. this movie could go up for some some set design costume, costume design. Oh, yeah. Oscars yeah. Like, no yeah I mean this is some of the best set and costume design I, I've seen I mean I, yeah I like those elements better than I like them in Phantom Thread I thought that it was the coolest looking outfits and and sets I've seen in any so movie colorful pretty much ever it's so, it was beautiful but then, but then when I think about the characters and the plot yeah in a two-hour movie, the only thing I really connected with was these very two like select scenes between Constance Wu and Michelle Yeoh. Like that was what I really gravitated towards. I thought that both of these actresses did an amazing job, and mm-hmm. I just wish that the movie would have spent more time on that. I agree. Yeah. They could have used a couple more scenes together, but they did get a decent amount of screen time together. And when they did, it was electric. Oh yeah, like it was the, that scene on the staircase. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I was, I was about to say everything in the you dumpling go into making that scene, scene, thinking that it's going to go one way. Yeah, and it goes another. And it all it takes this shift in like it's kind of a classic directing. Uh, way of positioning the camera where she takes a step forward and it forces Constance Wu to take a step down the stairs and then she has that aerial advantage on her yeah. like a hawk and just the scene right before that the dumpling making the dumpling making and it really seems like the family is starting to come around to her the grandmother tells her that she has like a lucky nose and this kind of stuff and you're like all right like this is starting to kind of wrap up in like a pretty neat and tidy way and then Michelle Yeoh she just she has so much bravada in her performance that mm. it's it's intimidating. And it's it's interesting because the story that she tells in that scene is basically saying that she was once in uh, Rachel's place. Like she mm. was once the outsider that was being doubted coming into the rich family. But now that she's in that mm. position of power as the matriarch, she's doing the same thing to her right. and she is distrustful of her. And I think the the fact that like, so many of the of the conflict in this movie comes from people thinking that she is just taking advantage of the money the 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 promise of money by joining the family it, i think that's a really good source of conflict for this type of story but there's not enough they don't they don't utilize that enough like there's not enough to like really yeah. drive that home um there's just so many fucking people exactly <laughs> the movie just kind there's of so like so many people it it, it doesn't it kind of lacks focus with like what it, the story it's really trying to tell and um ultimately like with the the Michelle Yeoh with um I keep forgetting the character's name but 
uh, with Michelle Yeoh's character, mother, yeah, with the with the mother in law, like you you get where she's coming from. Like she loves her son and she wants to protect him, yeah. and she doesn't want some outsider coming in to to claim yeah. the money. And just just yeah. like Big Sick, she gives very reluctant forgiveness, like very. Yeah, I do like that. It's kind of very counter uh, classical American beliefs, especially in films where it's like if the character has to go through this trial in their life, then they're more receptive to somebody else who's going through that where that's not how asian culture works you have to fight and earn every yeah well that you have i mean it's it's all about the collective it's mm. not about individualism and that's exactly what she even she even outlines right. that theme in dialogue she says that with you americans you you put your dreams first you put the individual first and that that's not how it flies here. um another thing that i do really love about this movie is that I, I said before that it's like unabashedly Asian. And what I mean by that is that they never really take moments to explain to the um, white American audience who's watching it, the different cultural habits, because that's a very movie thing that you see something in this exotic place and they're like, oh, what is this thing? Oh, this is this thing and this thing and this thing. So that represents this yeah. thing. And there's never any of that. You can put it together and you can kind of every now and then there's little moments of that. Well, if, if where like they're in the street vendors white. and stuff like that. But it's nice that they don't have to explain things. They don't ever make an attempt to explain things to you. It's one of those things where you don't need to explain to you because when something we all have some kind of a culture, regardless of our actual ethnicity and our race, and you can latch on to somebody else's culture. It's the big fat Greek wedding did that too, where it doesn't explain all of the nuances that go into this being in this Greek society. But whenever you see all their weird habits, it makes you think of like, oh, my family does some weird things, and they have this one like thing that they do every holiday and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, that, they, yeah. they wear some white hoods and burn across. Gen- generality and specificity. Yeah. That's yeah, that's what this movie had to do is they had to keep it that's why they didn't get super deep. They had to keep it pretty relatable for the whites. Like all of us if we have had a partner, we have met their family and it's always weird. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how cool they Ooh. are. It's just always a thing. Like it's a big old thing. Going to a wedding with uh, that is the you know someone else's family is always a big thing. Like it's it's a universally relatable concept and then they yeah they added enough details in that i thought it was i thought it was a good movie but i yeah i agree it could have been like a truly great movie like mash this up with the big sick and you have like a perfect movie Mm -hmm. but it's fine that it's not Mm. all right uh you guys have any other thoughts are we about ready to wrap it up here um i think we about hit everything okay well that about does it for this week's episode our uh anniversary what what bam anniversary episode so thanks for listening thanks for sticking around with us and uh we hope that you enjoyed this past year here's to many many more you can uh, email us at we bought and let us know your thoughts on crazy rich asians or uh you know james gunn's booty hole or whatever the fuck and check us out on social media at we bought a mic you guys want to plugity plug? Yeah, nothing. Uh, Not pull, even your butt. Plug your butthole. Oh, come on. Nah. No. Uh, go see Crazy Rotations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go see it. Go see it. Go support it. Um, it's a crowd pleaser. It's not a. It's not a real head scratcher of a movie. It's just like a pretty straightforward fun time. Yeah, Hunter. I uh, I agree. I. I, like I said before, I just I want this movie to make lots and lots of money so that it can make the way for it can pave the way for more 
diverse movies exactly. to be made. Exactly, and I think it is doing that. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad to see that. Um, you can check me out on Twitter and Letterbox at Hunt Mobley H U N T M O B L E Y. Um, yeah, uh, I've been doing some updates to my top movies of the year yeah. list. Oh, as yeah. as Colin said, my uh, my quote unquote horrible reviews. <laughs> Horribly written reviews. My poorly written reviews are on there, so check those out. Damn, yeah. that's, um, that's brutal. Next week, we're going to have, what, Searching? Operation I Finale? So. I, I heard Searching is good, and I and I also heard Operation Finale is bad. <laughs> but hey, dude, Oscar Isaac. He's a fucking um, hunk. Right. He is a hunk. Oh, I'm, I'm at Drew, D-I-E-T-Z. Oh, you said you had nothing to plug. No, it's too late. No, nope. it's nope, not no, too late. It's too late. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. Don't 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 cue up the music. Don't you fucking cue up that. <laughs> don't at me, bro. I've been firing off some real dinger tweets lately. Uh, don't miss out. You know, hop on the wave. I mean, if you guys are interested, go on my Twitter, like my tweet about Aquafina, support the movement. She's not that funny. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> jeez. All right, cue the music. <laughs> well, I'm at Caldernist on Twitter and Letterbox and Instagram and all that jazz. So check me out on there. Uh, thanks for listening. We will. See you next week. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. 15 minutes is you later. I'll probably be at home. Call me. Call me. Call me.